Good morning, everybody. The reading this morning, as you already know, is from Acts 8, um, chapter, sorry, Acts 8, verse 26 to the end. It deals with Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. He ended the lesson. Thank you, Alistair. Last week, we looked at the first half of Acts chapter 8, Uh, which describes how the gospel began to be preached to people who were not Jews. And if you missed Chris's sermon in relation to that, can I recommend you listen to it online? It contains some really important stuff. Uh, But this week we've got to move on, and I'm going to be looking at the ministry of Philip the Evangelist, both in Samaria and, as we've just heard in our reading, with the Ethiopian eunuch. But before I do that... Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can read about Philip's ministry. Please imprint in our minds and on our hearts the things that you want us to learn from it today. Amen. Right, so first of all, who was Philip? Uh, Well, actually, first of all, who wasn't he? 
Philip was not the apostle of the same name. We know that for certain because in verse 1 of chapter 8, Luke tells us that when the church was scattered following the stoning of Stephen, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But this Philip went to Samaria. Now, this Philip was one of the seven people who the church had appointed to ensure the fair distribution of food to widows in the church. And we don't know very much about him. In fact, almost all we know about him is written here in Acts chapter 8. So so what we know is that when the church was scattered, he first of all headed north from Jerusalem up into Samaria. But then, as we've heard, he was called to go south, south of Jerusalem, where he was to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. And then he went to Gaza, or near to Gaza, uh, in the south, and preaching the gospel as he went, he headed up the coast to Caesarea, which is near modern-day Haifa. And incidentally, he settled there, it appears, because about a quarter of a century later, he was to entertain the Apostle Paul in his house there. Now, you may say, well, all that's jolly interesting, but what's it got to do with me? And and that's a fair question, but but just think for, for a moment. Philip had been appointed to oversee the distribution of food. I, I would rather suspect that neither he nor any of the apostles would have expected that he would end his life known as Philip the Evangelist. But he did. Um, what had happened? Uh, perhaps the church had got it wrong. Perhaps he wasn't called to the distribution of food, after all. Or, or perhaps more likely... As the situation changed, so did his ministry change. We don't know, of course, but what we do know is that both Philip himself and the apostles embraced that change. Now, Philip could have thought something like this. He could have thought, I'm called upon to do relief work. I don't preach the gospel. But he didn't, did he? And the apostles could have said, hang on a moment, Philip, we're the ones to preach the gospel, keep out. But they didn't, did they? No, they were all open to the change in Philip's ministry. And we need to learn from that. We need to be very careful that we don't imagine that God has given us some gift And that all we need to do throughout our lives is in God's service to exercise that gift. Now, of course, for some people, there is one ministry they're called to through their lives. The Apostle Paul was a good example of that. But for other people, like Philip, there may be changes in their ministry. And we need to be open to that. Furthermore, like Stephen, whatever our ministry... We need to be ready to talk to people about Jesus and call them to him. And then we as a church need to avoid the danger of falling into a good old-fashioned trade union who does what? Dispute. As in, hang on a moment, that's my role in the church. Out. We mustn't do that, must we? We must be open to people being called to new things. Now, of course... 
We're not saying that any individual in the church can decide what they're doing and, and, and that's, that's fine, because that would lead to chaos. The gifting and calling are matters for mutual discernment. We just need, though, to be open to the possibility that people's ministry changes, that our ministry may change, sometimes in surprising ways, as it was in the case of Philip. Okay, so that's Philip's calling. What about the people he spoke to? Chris spoke about some of this last week. He spoke to the Samaritans, to uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then subsequently to people up the coast. We're talking about Samaritans and Gentiles. And it's, I think, quite hard for us to imagine just how revolutionary that was. Uh, People frequently assume that Gentiles were present on the day of Pentecost. They imagined that it was people from every nation of the area. But that's not true. Uh, Acts chapter 2 specifically says that the people who were there present were Jews, including converts to Judaism. Peter calls them fellow Israelites. Now, of course, Jesus had said to his disciples that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But before Philip came along, the apostles had largely confined themselves to Jerusalem and perhaps a bit of Judea. Surprisingly, perhaps, it was Philip, not the apostles, who was to begin the process of extending that to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Actually, Philip was in some ways quite well positioned to do that. Uh, uh, He was a Hellenized rather than a Hebraic Jew. His name is Greek, Philip. And he doubtless spoke Greek as his first language and had been brought up in a culture that melded the Jewish religion with Greek culture. And so the barrier between him and Gentiles might have been less than it was with the apostles. Nonetheless, Philip still had to recognize the call of God to proclaim the gospel to the despised Samaritans and even more astonishingly to Gentiles. He had to recognize that call and he had to respond to it. And he did. And of course, we have to respond to it as well. Now, you may immediately think, yeah, but it was easier for him, wasn't it? After all, he received specific guidance. We hear the angel of the Lord said to him, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then later, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And we don't often get guidance as specific as that. Problem is, that argument just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. You see, yes, it's true that Philip got that guidance, but that's all about the detail of how he should do do things. He was never told what to do when he got to the Ethiopian, let alone that he was to baptize him in due course. In fact, the barrier between him and the Ethiopian was quite great because not only was the Ethiopian a Gentile, he was a eunuch. One of those who Deuteronomy 23.1 says are not to enter the assembly of the Lord. And yet he spoke the gospel to him and baptized him. And furthermore, there's absolutely no hint 
that he was given specific instructions about preaching the gospel to the Samaritans and baptizing them. So what was it that gave him the confidence to carry out his actions? I think there can only be one explanation. He had understood and absorbed what Jesus, and indeed the Old Testament says, about proclaiming the gospel to all nations, to the whole world. I've already mentioned what Jesus said about them being witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And of course, Jesus said similar things on a number of occasions. Famously, we're told at the end of Matthew's gospel that he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Philip had clearly absorbed the significance of those things. Furthermore, he clearly understood the significance of the so-called servant songs in the book of Isaiah, because Isaiah chapter 53 is one of those, and we know that when he was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, he immediately explained how that applied to Jesus. And if he understood how those applied to Jesus, he would have remembered that they also say that the Messiah, Jesus, is a light to the Gentiles. In, In fact... I wonder whether he also remembered uh, what appears in Isaiah just a couple of chapters, for three chapters, further on. This is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and all who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see... Philip had listened to what Jesus and the Old Testament says about proclaiming the gospel, taken it seriously, and acted on it. He didn't need any more specific guidance than that. And nor do we. Because those commands, those prophecies, still apply to us as they did to Philip, we don't need specific guidance. Oh, to be clear, we may pray that the Lord would show us, like Philip, you know, go up to that person, you know. We may ask him, indeed we should ask him, to help us, to show us how to speak to people and the like. But what we must never do is plead the absence of some specific guidance as an excuse for not talking to people about Jesus Philip didn't, and and, and nor nor must we. So we need to share Philip's commitment to telling people about Jesus and calling them to him. And we also need to learn from how Philip went about his task. Do do you remember from our reading, um, uh, after being called, he, he ran up to the chariot and listened and heard the man reading from Isaiah 53. Now, 
you may well be a little bit puzzled by that to start with, and there are a couple of points to say. First of all, we should not imagine that, that the man, the Ethiopian, was herring along like the charioteers in Ben-Hur or some other Hollywood epic. Uh, his chariot, I had to tell you, the picture on the screen earlier got it wrong. This chariot was not that type of chariot at all. This was a plush carriage of a senior official, and it would have been pulled along at a stately pace by an ox. Not the horses, I'm afraid, that were shown on the screen. So I'm sorry about the screen, but they're wrong. Um, and that's why he could go up to it and walk alongside it. It would have been going at, at walking pace. Second, unlike us, ancient people tended to read even to themselves out loud. And in any event, the Ethiopian may well have had a servant reading to, to him. So it wouldn't have been difficult for uh, Philip to hear what he was saying. And therefore, he knew what the Ethiopian was thinking about. And he asked a question, which I'll be able to get to if I turn over the page. He asked a question. Do you understand what you're reading? We should note Philip's boldness in asking that question. This was effectively the chief minister to a foreign monarch. And frankly, uh, in a hierarchical society, going uh, uh, to speaking in that way was quite bold. Uh, he asked a pretty direct and blunt question, didn't he? And I wonder whether we would do the same in similar circumstances. I know when I read this, I thought, I've got a feeling I'd have gone a bit round the edges in relation to that. And yet, if we look at the New Testament, it encourages us to be direct, doesn't it? Oh, yes, we should be polite, we should be respectful, we should be gentle, but we shouldn't pussyfoot around. We don't see people doing that in the New Testament, do we? And we have Jesus' uh, authority. In fact, we have his command to be bold and to be direct. And in the case of Philip, that boldness was rewarded by a request from the Ethiopian that he climb up into the chariot and sit down next to the Ethiopian. Furthermore, in God's providence, the Ethiopian was reading a passage in the Old Testament, the passage in the Old Testament, that contains the most complete description of the ministry of Jesus. But, but it was a passage that confused people. And the Ethiopian asked a question that we know a number of people of that age asked. He said, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And there was Philip's opportunity. We're told that he began with that very passage of scripture and told him, told the Ethiopian, the good news about Jesus. Now, the lesson for us there is not that when talking to somebody, we should always start with Isaiah chapter 53, tempting though it is. The lesson is that we should start where the person we're talking to is. Now, in the case of the Ethiopian, Philip was dealing with somebody who accepted the authority, 
of the Old Testament and happened to be reading Isaiah 53. So, of course, it was appropriate that he should start there. But in many other situations, it's wholly inappropriate to do so. Consider Paul, for example, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Athenians in the Areopagus. You can read about it in Acts uh, chapter 17. Had he started with Isaiah 53, they'd have glazed over, wouldn't they? They were pagans. So what did he do? He started by noting he'd seen an altar in the city marked to an unknown god. He then, as he went on, quoted one of the Athenian prophets, we are his offspring, and he used that to frame a discussion in which he explained the nature of God, God's call for repentance, and then moved on to the resurrection of Jesus. But then when he was speaking to King Agrippa some years later when presenting his defense, he adopted a different approach because King Agrippa understood a lot about Judaism. Indeed, he accepted some of it, but he wasn't really committed. So what did Paul do? He started with the Old Testament expectation of God's saviour. He talked about Moses and the prophets and linked that to what he had to say about Jesus. And you see, like Philip, like Paul, like all of the apostles, we need to start where people are and move from there to talk about the gospel. And there's one final thing. We need to issue a challenge. We don't actually know quite how Philip did that. Uh, In the paraphrase earlier, uh, they had supplied what the passage doesn't in fact contain. It doesn't tell us what he said. But it's perfectly apparent he did issue a challenge. Where else would the Ethiopian have got the idea of baptism uh, from? I suspect, in the light of that reference, that Philip said something similar to that which Peter had said on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Paul did similar things. When in front of the Areopagus, having done all these things I've described, he then went on. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. The ignorance of you pagans is what he was saying. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everybody by raising him from the dead. And when he was talking to Agrippa, he was so direct that Agrippa interrupted and said, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And listen to what Paul replied. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all those who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Would you have been that direct? Some some of you may, may well be, but honestly, would you be? I know as I was talking to myself earlier, I I was challenged by that. Yet we should be direct. If we're not direct to people, how will they receive the challenge to respond to the gospel? We need to be direct. In fact, 
we need to follow Philip's example. So, so let's be bold. Let's start where people are. Let's talk, tell them about the gospel, but let's not forget to issue that challenge. And of course, how they respond is not within our control. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch responded. He repented and was baptized. And indeed, some of the Athenians to whom Paul was speaking did likewise, but not most of them. And so far as we are aware, King Agrippa did not respond. But we shouldn't worry about that, because whatever happens, we know that God is working his purposes out. He was with Philip, he was with Paul, and he will be through us. Like Philip, we simply need to play our part. Amen.